Jacob wrestled with someone on the banks of the Jabbok River. He wrestled with him all night from dusk till the break of dawn. He names that place Peniel, which means the face of God. For I have seen God face to face, Jacob said, and yet my life was preserved. So often we tell this story as Jacob wrestling with God. But the Hebrew says, Jacob wrestled with a man. In the ancient world, it was believed by some that rivers were infested with demons. Some rabbis say that Jacob thought he was wrestling with a demon, but when light breaks, he discovers he is not wrestling with a demon, but instead looks into the eyes of God. Wrestle with your demons, look into your darkest doubts, and you may find yourself looking into the eyes of God. In his Torah commentary, Gunther Plaut suggests that when Jacob begins to wrestle, he is still his old crooked self. He tries to extort a blessing from this man in the dark of night. Jacob emerges, Plaut says, into a new moral consciousness. He sees himself as he has never seen himself before. In demanding and receiving a blessing, Jacob is wounded. He walks away limping, and he receives a new name, Yisrael. There may be a wordplay here in the Hebrew. Yisrael sounds like Yash'arel, which means the one whom God sets straight. But Jacob is set straight at the cost of an injured hip, and he hobbles away with a limp. I wrestled for a while in high school. I was scrawny, but scrappy. You wrestle for just six minutes, but those six minutes feel like an eternity. Jacob wrestled all night. He wouldn't let go. Jacob dreaded the wrath of the brother he had cheated, and he faces an assault from the deity, Walter Brueggemann says. It is dark. Jacob doesn't know who it is he's wrestling. His adversary remains hidden in the darkness. Wrestling is very intimate and very exhausting. Jacob holds on through the night. He won't let go of his attacker and, in the end, only lets go when the stranger gives him a blessing. And with that blessing, a new name, which means, he who contends with God and men has prevailed. That, in a few words, describes the whole story of Israel that unfolds in the Hebrew Scriptures. A nation, a people, who contend with God and receive a blessing. Jacob and his descendants are scrappy. They hold on to God, and God holds on to them even at the cost of pain. Contend with God, and while you may receive a blessing, you will also walk away with a limp. If the story of Jacob tells us anything, it is that faith is sometimes contentious, 
that faith is not without doubt, that real faith wrestles through doubt, that faith does not let go in the midst of doubt, and that most blessings do not come without some pain. We may think of faith as simply trusting, and it is sometimes, but it is also wrestling with God as if your life depends on the outcome. It is being set straight and then walking away with a limp. As Walter Brueggemann says of Jacob, meeting this God did not lead, as we are wont to imagine, to reconciliation, forgiveness, healing. Instead, it resulted in a crippling. These are the marks of Israel, says Brueggemann. The new name cannot be separated from the new crippling, for the crippling is the substance of the name. Jacob, Brueggemann says, has penetrated the mystery of God like none before him and has prevailed. But it is a defeat as well as a victory. There is a dangerous, costly mystery in drawing too near to God and claiming too much. Jacob, Brueggemann says, is a cripple with a blessing. In the midst of this crippling pandemic, we are finding, strangely enough, some blessing. In our distance from each other, we are, in many ways, drawing closer to each other. As we hang on and wrestle through the night, we are discovering a deeper, more resilient faith, not without fear and disappointment and pain, but with a stubborn hope that will carry us through until the light of dawn. We are looking into the eyes of God when we ask why. We are looking into the eyes of God when we ask with Jacob, who are you? We are looking into the eyes of God when we ask, where are you? Nicole Nordman sings, O great God, be small enough to hear me now. There were times when I was crying from the dark of Daniel's den, and I asked you once or twice if you would part the sea again. But tonight, I do not need a fiery pillar in the sky. I just want to know you're going to hold me if I cry. Oh, great God, be close enough to feel me now. For some of us, the longer this pandemic goes on, the more desperately and determinedly we hold on to God in the dark, not letting God slip away into the dark of night. Jacob clings to God like a dog hanging on to a pant leg. Sometimes that's the only faith we have, a desperate holding on against the odds in the face of bewilderment and doubt, hanging on until morning. Sometimes faith does not let go, and the mercy of God prevails, but not without a limp, not without the memory of the struggle or of the loss, and you never forget it, for it was there that you met God face to face. 
I'll never forget that night when I received a call from Sloan and James and I went to Children's Medical Center. I drove through the darkness in a violent thunderstorm. Oliver, precious Oliver, was dying. Oliver and his mom and dad had wrestled with God for weeks and they were tired. There in that sacred refuge in the midst of a dark, stormy night, after struggling for so long, asking for and receiving the blessing of Oliver's life, they now looked into the face of God with anguish and with peace as Oliver was taken from them. A severe mercy and an unforgettable loss something they will always carry with them, even in their acceptance. There will always be a limp, a reminder of the pain, but also a reminder of the God who wrestled with them through the night and never left them alone. You cannot love and lose someone without limping. You never get over it. But the pain becomes sacred memory, a reminder that you were never alone, that you are not alone, a reminder that contending with God is not a denial of faith, but the deepest kind of faith. And when the morning comes, you let go of God, there to be blessed by God as you go limping on your way. And that place where you wrestled becomes a sacred place and your loss is redeemed with a new name. And you carry it with you for the rest of your life, this tender and severe mercy of God. I have seen God face to face and I have prevailed. Our gospel story is not so much about hanging on as it is about letting go. If Jacob was the story of a desperate attempt to receive a blessing by clinging to God and limping away with that blessing, the story in Matthew 14 of Peter stepping onto the water is about trusting and letting go. After the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had sent the disciples out in their boat onto the water and he went up onto a hill to pray by himself. As Matthew tells the story, a storm came crashing over the lake and the disciples were stuck in the middle of it, their boat battered by the waves, the wind against them. Jesus watches all this from the hillside, hears the screams coming from the boat and decides to walk out to the middle of the lake without a flotation device to get a closer look. He didn't even get wet. He scared the disciples almost to death. They thought it was one of the living dead come to get them. Jesus calmly says to them, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter caught up in the moment tells Jesus he'd like to join him in on the water, not in the water, but on the water. He steps out onto the waves, 
So far, so good. And then he realizes where he is and he sinks like a stone. Jesus grabs him and gets him back into the boat. Never forget, boys, he tells the disciples. Keep your eyes on me or you're sunk. Then things quiet down on the water. Forget for now the logistics of this story. Suspend your disbelief. The point here is that faith is not about hanging on. It's about stepping out and letting go. Easy to say, harder to do. I remember when our kids were taking swimming lessons. Our son Nils was in the beginner's class and he was reluctant to leap into the water. His teacher, a big bear of a man, leaned over and said, Afraid you're going to sink? You've got nothing to worry about. You're waterproof. His teacher then leaped into the water and Nils followed. Jesus tells Peter, Trust me, you're waterproof. All you have to do is let go. But Peter, trying to control things, loses control, and down he goes. Faith is trusting. Sometimes trusting is hanging on. Sometimes trusting is letting go. Biblical scholar and theologian N.T. Wright has just written a great little book, God and the Pandemic, a Christian reflection on the coronavirus and its aftermath. He talks about the spread of the virus, how we didn't worry about it until it hit us. No place to escape. In most of the ancient world, Wright says, and many parts of the modern world too, major disasters, earthquakes, volcanoes, fires, plagues, are regularly associated with angry gods. Something bad has happened? Must be because someone has it in for you. In the old pagan world of Greece and Rome, the assumption was that you hadn't offered the right sacrifices, or you hadn't said the right prayers, or you did something truly dreadful that even the old amoral gods on Mount Olympus felt it was time to crack down on you. The high-minded philosophers didn't think much of that, Wright says. They came up with three alternatives. First, the Stoics. Everything is programmed to turn out the way it does. You can't change it, just learn from it. Alternatively, the Epicureans. Everything is random. You can't do anything about it. Make yourself as comfortable as you can. And then the Platonists. The present life is just a shadow of reality. Bad things happen here, but we are destined for a different world. We have, Wright says, our modern equivalents. Some just want to tough it out. If the bullet's got your name on it, so be it. Most of the modern West, he says, is implicitly Epicurean. Stuff happens, but we want to scramble for comfort. So settle down, self-isolate, plenty of Netflix.
this too will pass. Some, including some Christians, he says, opt for Plato. Death isn't the worst that can happen. We're heading somewhere else anyway. All right, let's be sensible. But please don't shut down the churches or the golf clubs. Meanwhile, he says, in refugee camps, in the multi-story tower blocks, in the slums, the suffering gets worse and the sorrow rises from the whole world like a pall of smoke, shaping the question we hardly dare ask, why? Wright points out that in the first few centuries of our era, when serious sickness would strike a town or a city, the well-to-do would run for the hills. Part of the problem was often low-lying fetid air in a town. The Christians, however, would stay and nurse people. Sometimes they caught the disease and died. People were astonished, Wright says. What was that about? Oh, they replied, we are followers of this man, Jesus. He put his life on the line to save us. So that's what we do as well. Sometimes trusting is hanging on with others. Sometimes it's letting go, and in letting go, giving away your life for others. We are, after all, followers of this man, Jesus. He wrestled, and he let go. Today, as we come to the table and receive the bread and the cup, we come limping, carrying a blessing. And we come trusting, all the while remembering that Christ has already gone through the waters of death ahead of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.